Grace Two Farm Kids. I know that we're just a few weeks away from heading into Halloween, and I don't really like Halloween. I mean, I like the fun parts of Halloween, like getting candy and dressing up in fun costumes, not scary ones. Um, there's this house across the street from my block, and they have a bunch of skeletons to make it look like they're coming out of the yard and like emerging out of their yard. I don't really like that. I mean, I like the fun parts of Halloween, like I just said, trick or treating. I just don't like the parts. And there are lots, there are a lot of wicked Im images in Halloween. But I, my dad said that he wanted you guys to know that when you're afraid of demons um, and Satan, my dad said that, or Pastor Bill, as you would call him, said that he he wants you to to know that God has already taken care of those things. And how he took care of them, he died on the cross, but then came alive three days after. Remember that. Good morning. My name is Cal Komarowski, and our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth are now shattered, so they grab Paul and Silas and drag them before the authorities of the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials order them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into the prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey Grace242, when boxer Phil the Drill Williams faced off against Brandon Burke, Phil knocked out Brandon in a single punch a mere 10 seconds into the fight. Boxing aficionados are still mystified why Burks would run at his opponent with open guard. Similarly, in 1997, Crawford Grimsley was knocked out by a single punch from James Thunder only 13 seconds into the fight. In women's boxing earlier this year, Senecia Superbad Estrada took out Miranda Adkins in a mere seven seconds, which is the new record for professional boxing, both men's and women's. Should end this quickly. Adkins reluctant to come out of her corner. Eight, left of one, two, three, four. The fastest knockout in UFC history happened in 2019 when Jorge Masvidal delivered a flying knee to Ben Askren only five seconds into the fight. Well, with 2020 feeling like a reset both on life and society, I've been taking this opportunity to run a bit of an experiment. And what I've been doing is I've been reading my Bible, pretending that I have no prior knowledge of the church. And I've just been reading, asking myself, what is the church if I merely look at scripture? What does the Bible tell us the church is? And I've been noting the themes and every week we have a statement that says we are dot 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 
And every week we complete that statement, and this week we complete that statement by saying, we are fighting people. But we're not fighting in a ring as humans do. Our opponent isn't even human. We're fighting a spiritual opponent in the spiritual realm. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In my experiment reading the Bible asking, what is the church? I'm seeing recurring confrontation between the spiritual forces of evil and the people of God. I'm seeing a war between what Paul calls evil rulers, authorities of the dark world, or evil spirits, and the Jesus people. For some reason, the two words that stick out in my head come from the old New King James Version translation of Ephesians 6.12, which calls them the principalities and the powers. And when I read my Bible, setting aside my priors, I see constant confrontation between the principalities and the powers and the Jesus people. Who are we? We are fighting people. But we don't fight human enemies in the realm that we can see. We fight spiritual enemies in the unseen realm. We fight principalities and powers. We fight evil spirits. Now, I have to be honest. This experiment, reading my Bible, setting aside my prior knowledge of church, has influenced this message in the series probably more than any of the other messages. Because if I wasn't trying to set aside my priors, I would have just skipped over this spiritual battle narrative. But yet, over and over again, we see this conflict between the principalities and the powers and the Jesus people splattered across the narrative. Now, I never got around to reading it until now, but I'm finally reading C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. And I'm enjoying the book so much that I'm kicking myself for not reading it sooner. Here's what Lewis says in the preface of that book. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Who are we? We are fighting people. And we fight on the road between two ditches. One ditch denies the existence of demons and spiritual forces of evil, and the other ditch finds a demon lurking around every corner. My prior knowledge of church tends to drive me toward the ditch that denies the enemy's existence. But if I read my Bible, setting aside what I know of church, the clash between spiritual enemies and the Jesus people is obvious. Let's look at Acts 16, and we'll start reading at verse 16. Paul and Silas are in this proudly and thoroughly Roman colony, this city of Philippi. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Paul and Silas come across a girl who is doubly enslaved. First, she is enslaved by an evil spirit, which enables her to supernaturally tell the future. The Greek text reads that this girl has a Pythonic spirit. Just 80 miles northwest of Athens, there was a Greek temple in the city of Delphi. This temple was considered to be the entrance to the underworld. And according to Greek lore, the god Apollo killed the python guarding the entrance at the temple. There was a prophetess named Pythia at the temple who would tell the future. 
People would come to Pythia to inquire about the future, and Pythia, possessed by the evil spirit, would descend into the underworld, retrieve the answer, and then return it to the inquirers. The girl is enslaved first by the principalities and powers, and she is secondly enslaved by her human masters. This type of fortune telling became a cottage industry. Fortune tellers! Fortunes forecast, lucky charms! Where people would pay loads of money to inquire about the future, and the person with the Pythonic spirit would then give the answer. So this girl is a cash cow for her masters. Let's pick up the narrative in verse 18. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Sort of reminds me of this. Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? No. Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? No. Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? 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 No. Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? No. Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? No. Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? No. Mount Splashmore? No. Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? No. Will you take it to Mount Splashmore? No. No. Mount Splashmore? If I take you, will you two quit bugging me? Yeah, of course. Well. We take the Mount Splashmore. Yes. Thanks, Dad. Bart and Lisa badger their dad to go to Mount Splashmore until finally he relents. I imagine the girl telling Paul and Silas and whoever will hear the repeated truth: these men are servants of God, and they will show you the way to salvation. Now it's kind of funny because here you have this evil spirit that's actually announcing the truth, and the capital T truth that they will show you the way to salvation, which is Jesus. But like Homer finally gets fed up with the kids, Paul finally gets fed up with the whole ordeal that he commands the spirit to come out of this girl. Now notice that Paul doesn't just say, I command you to come out of her. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. It was not Paul who exercised the demon. It was the power of Christ in Paul, namely the Holy Spirit who cast the demon out. Who are we? We are fighting people. And one, we fight in the power of Christ, and two, we fight with our eyes on Christ. Paul fought the principalities and powers in the power of Christ. But this does not mean that he emerged from the battle unscathed. Look at Acts 16, verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. In the original text, there is a play on words here, and the play is that as the spirit leaves, so goes the income. Both evil spirit and the income she generated left. We have to realize that this was a rare gold mine for the girl's masters. They made loads of money off this girl, and now that's gone. So the masters drag Paul and Silas in front of the authorities and charge them with promulgating Jewish teaching in opposition to Rome. And opposition to Rome is all that this proud and thoroughly Roman colony of Philippi needs to hear to mobilize against Paul and Silas. They beat them and lock them up in, as verse 24 says, the inner dungeon. Here's a picture of an inner cell today in that jail at Philippi. Paul fought in the power of Christ but he did not escape the fight unscathed. And in the same way, we fight the principalities in the power of Christ, but that does not mean that there won't be battle scars. People often ask, why was demonic activity so prominent in the New Testament, but yet when I look around today, I don't see the same type of activity? 
Part of that is the ditch that I'm inclined toward, which says that demons and principalities don't exist. Now, the Screwtape Letters is a fiction work, but it is a series of letters written by an experienced demon named Screwtape. Screwtape writes to a younger demon in training named Wormwood, and the letters are intended to mentor young Wormwood in the ways of destroying humans and hijacking their affections away from God. And in one letter, Screwtape says, our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. Why do we see evil spirits so blatantly in the New Testament, but yet we don't see them very much today or so blatantly today? I think we don't see them because we're happy to live in that ditch that says they don't exist. But I think to whatever extent the evil spirits were hiding before 2020, they've come out. COVID-19, the death toll related to COVID-19, rioting in the streets, racial divisions, political polarization, the economic upheaval, the loss of businesses, the loss of jobs, the closure of churches, the warring of congregations within churches. How can you look at this and say, evil spirits don't exist, principalities and powers don't exist? I know I mentioned this article a lot, but the research firm Barna predicts that over the course of the next 18 months, one in five churches will close. This week I talked with Pastor Pat Dirksey at City Church of Compton, and when we referenced the article, Pat said, no, I totally believe those stats. Pat and some guys from his church run a catering business called City Catering, and they just did a catering job for a church that was having its last service, and then they were closing up shop. So Pat believes those stats when one in five churches are going to be closing. The principalities and powers exist. We fight in the power of Jesus, but that doesn't mean that there won't be battle scars. Now, before I tell you about Karen Barnes, I just want you all to know that I have Karen's explicit permission to tell you this. Karen Barnes is the blessing that keeps on blessing. When I visited the Komarowski House Church a few weeks ago, at one point she says to us, would you, would you guys just humor me for a second? And we're all kind of looking at each other like, yeah, what's up, Karen, you know? So what we said, yeah, that's fine. She proceeds to pull out a piece of notebook paper, fringes and all, and says, this is something the Lord gave me. And she begins to tap her leg to get a beat. And when she gets the beat going, she just starts beginning to sing this song that she wrote that the Lord gave her. And it was a song full of hope and joy in the Lord and the peace that we find in Christ, and she's just singing, and we're all just like, I cannot believe this. Karen Barnes wrote a song, and I asked her if she would eventually share it with us and, and teach us that song. Unbelievable, wonderful blessing. Now flash forward to last week. Out of the blue, Karen contacts me and says, Bill, I'd like to provide lunch for the work team that's going to the Lesage camp. Would, would I be able to provide lunch? I'm like, Karen, that would be an incredible blessing. That'd be wonderful. I didn't even ask for it. She just volunteered it. And Karen doesn't know this, but at our church leadership meeting last week, we're talking about candidates for church leadership, which is a discussion we have routinely as leaders, people that fit the biblical qualifications for church leadership, and Karen's name came up. And of course, you all agree she'd be a fantastic church leader. But now this week, I get a text early in the week that Karen's in the emergency room, and as events develop, I find out that she's gonna have triple bypass surgery, and I can't even visit her. You know what that is? That's the principalities and powers. 
That's an attack. They're real. That's the work of the enemy right in front of our eyes. We fight in the power of Jesus, but there will be battle scars. And Karen knows that. We fight in the power of Jesus. Corey Ten Boom was teaching at a Bible conference, and she had an interpreter because the audience, the young people to whom she was speaking, did not share her language, and so there was this young Japanese girl that was her interpreter. And they got to a point in Corey's teaching where Corey was using a metaphor that the Japanese interpreter did not understand. And so Corey began to try different metaphors and this Japanese girl wasn't understanding her and, and so they came to this impasse and the Japanese girl, as Corey's trying these different metaphors, became less and less confident in her ability to interpret until finally the Japanese girl just broke down crying. And so Corey asked the conference leader, is, is there anyone else who can interpret? And the conference leader was like, no, she's, she's the only one. And here's what Corey Ten Boone recognized in that moment. Quoting from her pamphlet, Defeated Enemies, Corey Ten Boone says, So here I was with a message for the young people before me. Some of them had problems and the answers could be found in the Bible that I had in my hand. For whatever reason, was I unable to bring God's message to them. Here was the devil at work. The first step on the way to victory is to recognize the enemy. The devil is a conquered enemy, and we have the privilege and the authority to fight him in the name of Jesus. I turned to the girl and said, Dark power that hinders that girl from interpreting God's message, I command you in the name of Jesus to leave her alone. She is meant to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, not your temple. As I spoke, the girl was set free. She was able to interpret fluently, and we had a meeting that was greatly blessed. So what the devil had meant to be an illustration of his victory became a boomerang and showed the power of Jesus Christ and his name. We fight in the power of Christ. In Mark 3, when Jesus calls his 12 disciples, he extends his authority to them. Let's look at Mark 3, verses 14 to 15. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his disciples. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. We fight in the power of Jesus because he has extended his authority over evil spirits to us. Paul's healing of the demon-possessed girl in Acts 16 mirrors Jesus' healing of a demon-possessed man in Mark 5. Jesus comes upon this man who's possessed by a demon and he lives in the graveyard and goes around snapping shackles and chains. He's just unhinged. And just like the girl named Paul for who he was as a servant of the Most High God, the demons in this man immediately recognize who Jesus is and they cower at his authority. Look at Mark 5, verses 6 to 7. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. The demon recognizes Jesus and his authority and begs Jesus not to be thrown out of the man. The Bible says there was this herd of pigs nearby and here's what happens. Look at verses 11 to 13. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. In the same way that an economy was upset when Paul cast the demon out of the girl, an economy is upset 
when a farmer loses 2,000 of his herd of pigs over a cliff. And in the same way that Paul and Silas are turned upon by the city of Philippi, that town turns upon Jesus and begs him to leave. I lay these stories side by side. Jesus' healing of the demon-possessed man, Paul's healing of the demon-possessed woman. I lay them side by side to demonstrate Jesus' power and authority over evil spirits. And that power and authority was extended to Paul, and that power and authority is extended to Jesus' people today. One of the phrases that both encourages me and haunts me is John 14, verse 12, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. Who are we? We are fighting people, and we fight in the power of Christ, and we fight with our eyes on Christ. We are fighting people, and we fight with our eyes on Christ. Back to the screw tape letters. Since the entire book is about training young wormwood to subvert the ways and work of God, screw tape refers to God as the enemy. <laughs> and I like this. I like that Lewis has creatively done this. Because if we call Satan and his demons the enemy, well, then it stands to reason that they would call God the enemy, right? <laughs> but here's a piece of advice that Elder Screwtape gives to young Wormwood. Whenever they are attending to the enemy himself, we are defeated. But there are ways of preventing them from doing so. The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him toward themselves. Whenever we are attending to God himself, the principalities and the powers are defeated. And the principalities and powers would love nothing less than to hijack our gaze away from Jesus Christ our Lord and to place it upon ourselves. Who are we? We are fighting people. I'll close with a quote from Clinton Arnold who says this in his commentary on Acts. Evil spirits have not disappeared since Jesus' day nor have they turned into psychological pathologies. They continue to exist and do all they can to oppose the redemptive work of God in the world. In the same way that Paul dealt with these spirits, we can effectively deal with them as well. Overcoming them has nothing to do with our own strength, but the power and authority of acting in the name of Jesus by virtue of our close relationship with him. Who are we? We are fighting people.